Welcome to Welcome to Primetime, a show covering the Freddy Krueger-hosted anthology series Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein. Every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You get one new episode for every donation. Please help us keep going by giving to The Okra Project, an organization that is working to feed black trans people in need. You can find out how to donate in the show notes. This week's patron is former guest Parker Brennan, and this week's guests are Danny Salam and Zach Winsick, the co-directors and producers of Cottonmouth, a new short film with Heather Langenkamp. Welcome to the show, Danny and Zach. Thanks Thank for you. having us. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Cottonmouth? What can, what can people out in the world expect? How are they going to be able to find it when it is findable? So right now, Cottonmouth is in its festival run, so it's sort of just... It's still actually being accepted into some, so we're sort of, it, everything's like pending right now. But yeah, it's in a bunch of festivals right now. Um, it's unfortunately not available to view publicly, but if you were to mm-hmm. uh, join one of the festivals, you could watch it, which are pretty much almost about 90% all virtual because of 2020. I heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So how did Cottonmouth come about? Like, where did the idea come from? How did you rope in Miss Heather Langenkamp? Like, how did this work? So the idea was all Danny's. Um, from a childhood memory, I'll, Dan, if you want to jump yeah, into that. So, well, um, so Zach and I had kind of like, we reconnected in New York. Um, we had gone to film school together. We reconnected and we were basically like, why aren't we making movies? So we, I came up with a bunch of different ideas for some shorts that were sort of um, economically uh, that like made the most sense to shoot on like a small budget. So we narrowed it down, we came up with Cottonmouth. It's basically, it's about this woman who basically starts to suspect that something may or may not have snuck into her room at night. And she sort of like takes action. So to be a little more specific, she has a glass of water next to her bed and she notices that whenever she wakes up that the water decreases a little bit. So she sort of does a little test. Every hour she sets an alarm, she wakes up just to see if there's any difference, and there is. And we as the audience, and she have no idea what is causing this to happen, and then of course by the end of the short, which is only about five minutes long, she figures it out, and that's the, unfortunately can't give that part away, but <laughs> that's the basic I mean, that's fair, people yeah. are fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, and then the whole, and then once that started happening, once the script was done, it was sort of just all downhill from there. Um, we, Zach, <laughs> yeah, well, that makes it sound a lot easier than it was, but um, we just sort of like got the ball rolling. We got really busy, focused on, you know, getting a crew together. And then we had thrown around the idea of how great it would be to work with Heather, who we are huge fans of. Um, but it was a it was a pipe dream. It was we we didn't think it was going to happen, and then yeah, of course, yeah, as you as you do, and then if you uh, did, it... yeah, because well, I remember we we put together a list on IMDb of just like our all time like who would be amazing in this, um, you know, never going to happen kind of list. People from like Heather well Heather Langenkamp was actually like one of the first ones to go on there. Um, And there was people like, I think we had John Cusack on there. And, you know, it's just like in your wildest dreams, Uh just as like, just for fun, what would we, who would we want in this? And uh, we were kind of, the role had kind of just originally been, 
it wasn't for a, a male or a female. Um, it do, that doesn't really matter um, until we shape the story a little bit more. Um, but then I had actually realized that I had like 11 connections with people who have worked with Heather before. Um, when she did a movie here, um, the latest Hellraiser film was shot in Oklahoma. Um, oh, yes. And so she did like a day on that, I think. And so I had worked with a bunch of people who had worked on that movie with her. And uh, we kind of just went through all of the connections that I had until we found somebody who could get us in contact with her. And it just kind of went from there. That's incredible. Yes. You're so See, I- incredibly lucky, especially, yeah, like being based in a non-Hollywood place and still managing to like finagle those connections. That That's impressive. Right, <laughs> and- right. Well, yeah. Uh, so, so Heather is from Tulsa um, originally. And the Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma City and Tulsa area, the film industry is just like rapidly growing. It's uh, they've got a great tax incentive for films to shoot here. And so it's drawing a lot of attention lately. Um, So I think that had something to do with it, too, which is which is nice. Yeah, it was sort of like a perfect storm. Everything lined up. So, you know, like the location, the timing and even just. I mean, it was, this was like the very beginning of when COVID started taking over. So Heather was sort of hesitant about doing it. Um, her husband was like, it was more her husband, mm-hmm. she said. She was like, he doesn't really want me to travel, but she was really into it. She wanted to do it. So luckily, it was just early enough where people weren't too spooked by everything, where reality sunk in. But uh, yeah, it was kind of just everything timed up and lined up pretty perfectly. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy we're able to, you know have this mo- this short film out in the world and you know everybody look up your local film festival see if it's playing and by local i mean they're all online so you can you can, yeah. secret, you can go anywhere you yeah go and anywhere i should add that through um, the magic of the internet <laughs> yeah it's it's very magical um yeah it's a perfect setup and also so cottonmouth is actually a proof of concept for a feature that um i'd written so that right now we're sort of in the process of developing and finding investors and whatnot so it's it's a crazy process but it's super fun and it's really exciting um it's a little weird nowadays because you can't do anything in person but like you said it's uh it's magical that we can at least get in touch with people regardless yeah exactly there there is kind of a silver lining to it in that film festivals are getting at least this year a little more democratized like there are more people who have the ability to have access to them Mm -hmm. um and so you have no excuse to seek this out exactly um go see but, it <laughs> yeah go see it wherever you can we are also here to talk about something that is nine times longer than your short film <laughs> and a hundred times worse <laughs> um specifically season two episode five of freddy's nightmares it's called memory overload original air date november 5th 1989 here's what you could have watched in theaters instead that weekend um, very Robert Englund weekend. You could have seen the 1989 um, Phantom of the Opera that was done by the director of Halloween 4 starring Robert Englund. It's mm-hmm. a weird movie. Yeah, actually, it's funny that that was one of the movies playing because that's one of my earliest memories of a horror film in my household. Um, my father is, like, not a movie guy at all. And my my mom actually made him take me to the video store because I was interested in Phantom of the Opera. She had no idea that this was even a thing, and he didn't know any better, so he sees Phantom of the Opera with Robert Englund sitting there on the video store shelf, and we take it home, 
we get about halfway through and my mom comes in the living room and just loses, just loses <laughs> it. Like, what are you showing your son? <laughs> um, this is oh, not gosh. the Andrew Lloyd Webber masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And my dad was just clueless. <laughs> That's just, I didn't even know it existed, um, to be honest. Oh, yeah, it's it's been a, a little bit lost to time, but it is very much... Um, Robert Englund trying to both break free from and capitalize on his Freddy fame. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it is very much a Freddy Krueger phantom. Um, but he's like, maybe I'll get another franchise out of this. He didn't. Right. Wait, I need um, to see. I'm tracking this down as soon as we're done recording. Oh, yeah. It's it's not the worst. It also it stars Jill Sholin, who kind of had a little uh, Scream Queen run for a while. She was in... Um, when a stranger calls back and popcorn and mm-hmm. some things in the like late okay. 80s early 90s mm-hmm. um oh and i think the stepfather maybe i'm wrong oh really um anyway oh. the i'm gonna double check that actually so i don't look like an idiot um <laughs> no but i am pretty sure <laughs> um but yeah so yeah she was in cutting class and the stepfather and the other things i mentioned okay um, yeah, the writer of this episode was Michael Kirschenbaum. He was a writer on Dennis the Menace, the TV series, and he was a consultant on this show, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they the, needed the one. The director but, okay. here is Don. Yeah, uh, or they just they didn't use him, I guess. <laughs> um, the director here is Don Weiss. He actually, this is one of his last TV gigs. He was directing TV like from the 50s, like basically the invention of TV. He did <laughs> a- Andy, Griffith, Andy Griffith, Jack Benny, General Electric Theater, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, like the Patty Duke Show, Kolchak, The Night Stalker. Like this guy has done a lot of TV. And I guess he was tired of it by then. Yeah. Um, that explains a lot of like the uh, high I- drama that we get in this episode. Oh. <sighs> Maybe of which does. there is a lot. <laughs> um, the cast here, as Professor Charles Wyndham, we have Andrew Prine. He was in The Town of the Dreaded Sundown and Amityville 2. He's also previously in another episode of Freddy's Nightmares called The End of the World as a completely different character. And to my knowledge, this is the first time that someone has recurred on the show like in a different role, which is an interesting uh, choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then... Hey, if it works. Really... <sighs> Yeah. Oh, I, it is it is hard to hold my tongue sometimes on before <laughs> getting into the plot part. But most importantly, as Chuck, the young the young buck, we have a extremely baby Kyle Chandler in this episode, yes. which is wild. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was a surprise to me. I said, I've seen this guy before. Like <laughs> Kyle Chandler, the name, the credits popped up, and I said, Kyle Chandler, that sounds so familiar. And then I saw him, and I just like it all clicked, and I was like, oh my gosh. You have full, like, Jaws vertigo shot just staring mm-hmm. at the TV screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into whatever this episode is about. Yeah. So we open on two women who don't really matter. Um, w- one of them is a slinky blonde who talks about how she keeps falling in love with science professors, which is why she's taking an English course. Um, and the other one's like, I work at a credit agency, but I just love Shakespeare. Um, and basically the, they're taking a Shakespeare class. This guy does this weird, 
dramatic moment where he plucks out the eyes of another student and then he's like, JK, I'm the professor. I'm an incredible drunk and I hate everything. And the redhead's like, I think I'm in love. That's how you really have to get the and class like, involved. Right. But I just, I was like, he pulls out a flask in like the middle of class. It's not just like he's a drunk professor and like he hides it in his coffee. He just like, and I think he offered it to the lady too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what. That's why. Is that no? Yeah, he he's an incredibly bad influence, and it's it's just we're really thrown into the deep end on this episode and just left to flounder and try to understand anything about what's happening because this is uh-huh. a truly wild situation. And he does have a cardboard cutout of William Shakespeare to help him teach the class. Well, um, I thought I also <laughs> thought that the drinking was part of the bit, but then when that kind of continued, I was like, oh, okay. So this is we're getting a lot from this character right out of the gate. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting he he loves a good bit. He also loves a belt from his flask, and those are the two things he likes. He also has a weird homoerotic relationship with Kyle Chandler. <laughs> um, so basically the redhead girl who because she you know introduces this episode and keeps talking through the first scene, you think she and her friend might be the main character. They're not. No. Um but she's extremely horny for this absolute mess of a man. She's like, well, look, all artistic types drink a little. And first like, of all, not true. Truly like a disgusting right. person, though. Like You're kind of underplaying like how gross he is in this episode. Yeah, he does look like he rolled out of a garbage can and walked to class. <laughs> like, there's nothing interesting about him. It's not, it's, yeah, it's, it was just uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, he's he's not like a like a brooding James Dean type. He's, you know who he did he's very remind much me an of Andrew though? Prime type. He reminded who? me he had a kind of like Phil Hartman, James Woods sort of vibe that kind of like kept ebbing and flowing. With obviously like taking into account the drinking, which is like a separate characteristic. But those are the vibes that I was picking up the entire time, and I was that was that was entertaining yeah, right. at the very least. Okay, yeah, like like kind of a potent exaggeration to his character that almost feels arch in a weird 100%, way. Hundred percent. Yep. Um, but yeah, the the redhead's like, I'm gonna ask him to tutor me, and I'll have a date by the second lesson. And I'm like, good for you. Why why is this your goal? Um, <laughs> and also, <laughs> she's still horny for him after seeing him in the hallway, just flat out drunk, yelling at the air about poetry. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. It's. This man has some serious problems, and we will get into them. Um, we do get, we do get Freddy in his liminal space. He has a booze bottle, and he's like, "So you don't think booze can kill you, huh?" And he smashes it, and he does this whole thing about how like the bottle can tear you apart, but he's just gonna wish the booze killed him. And basically, while we're still drowning in the ocean that is this professor, all of a sudden a new character shows up played by Kyle Chandler. His name's Chuck. He's a young student. And he's like, you gotta hide me, man. Uh, like, I know I was your student a couple years ago, but I just deserted from the army, so now I live here. Um, <laughs> and this is really... Because when I was doing my research for season two of the show, I noticed that a lot more of these episodes are sequels to other episodes. We haven't gotten to that point yet, because we're still having the episodes that get the sequels later on. But I had to double-check that this wasn't a sequel to something because I was like, I don't understand anything about like the background of these characters and their dynamic or why I'm supposed to care about them. 
Right. No, it's all over the place. Like, I feel like the writers had an idea, and then another writer had an idea, and so on, until they were just like, let's do it, guys. We don't have time to trim this down. Let's just put it all in. Because they also make a reference yeah, to... Yeah, um, they... I was going to say, because of like the whole Shakespeare theme, they also make a reference to King Lear. And, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I remember all of the details about King Lear, but I don't believe there are really any connections between the plot of King Lear and the plot of this episode. And I was, like, waiting for some, like, kind of, like, connection or, nope, just sort of just referenced and then just thrown to the wind. Oh, yeah. No, King Lear is the Shakespeare play that every television show is based on where <laughs> a father is dying and he's figuring out who to, like, give the keys to the kingdom to, like, which of his mm-hmm. children. Um, and it has absolutely nothing to do with this episode. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. I thought it was, like, I was, like, okay, maybe I'm missing something, but I was, like, I don't think this has anything to do with it. No, it it has a lot to do with Kyle Chandler having dreams that his dad is going to like shoot him and make him go back to the army. And then all of a sudden there's this incredibly strange go nowhere subplot that I thought was going to be the crux of this part of the episode in that the professor starts to like really get his shit together. Like he starts dressing really nice. He starts he's like he's very much like Nancy's mom at the end of Elm Street where he's like mm-hmm. I don't drink anymore. I just don't feel like it. <laughs> And all of a sudden, like, Kyle Chandler's character starts to become, like, a really messy, dirty drunk. And it's like, oh, is he sapping his youth and power? And I was like, I guess this is the plot now? It's, yeah, again, I, I it's definitely, not. I definitely thought that was going to go somewhere. Like, he was, like, Kyle Chandler was going to continue to, like, deteriorate in either physical form or whatever. Um, but then it kind of just, yeah, it just fizzled out. Yeah, it literally made yeah, they, no you, sense. Yeah, what you said earlier was right. Like, they definitely had a bunch of ideas, and they did not kill their darlings. What yeah. they did kill was any sort of interstitial connection to the darlings. <laughs> um, yeah, there's yeah, a thread so there Chandler somewhere, starting, I'm sure, but it's, yes. it, but it's just all tangled up. Yeah, it, it's hidden. <laughs> it's hidden. Oh, um, one quick thing I wanted to point out. Yes, go. Sorry, I was just thinking about how we were talking about the teacher's transformation into being the sort of more well-rounded character. And I love how they portray him as being, um, he's no longer the cool teacher in class because he starts asking questions. So he's sort of being like a, a more like normal teacher and the students are calling him out for the like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> like, all right, I don't know if that really <laughs> plays into what defines a cool or uncool teacher, but all right. Yeah, it's like, I just wanted to be talked at. I don't want to engage with the material. Um, and there's that, that it just, it's a line that just struck me as being so, I don't know if it's corny or just weird, but like, so Kyle Chandler is starting to like take on the role of like the the drunk doesn't have his crap together kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And he, he realizes this when he says, that he misplaces his notebook and it's like this crazy idea that he's never misplaced something before (laughs) he's like i don't know where my notebook he's like i've never done that before (laughs) and it's just like okay you've never like it was just weird you've never lost something (laughs) yeah yeah again more evidence to that there is a backstory here that we are not being told because later he's like well we always used to make fun of you because you misplace things (laughs) yeah but 
the scene where he's like, I misplaced my notebook. There's this spooky music sting, and we're supposed to be like, okay, I've also misplaced my notebook. Like, I'm, I'm not impressed. Is that that's supposed to be like the sixth sense, like big twist reveal? Like, oh my god, that they they changed places. It's like I don't know if it landed quite as <laughs> yeah, he can't well keep as they track probably of wanted his it personal to, but... possessions. <laughs> what a twist! Yeah, it's it's very strange. And during this time, they are just fully like odd coupling it up, just living together. This professor and former <laughs> student, and it is creepy. Um, oh, and yeah, the what you were talking about where. Um, the professor is in the class, and he does start asking questions. Um, first of all, yeah, there obviously is no problem with the professor asking questions. But the question that he asks is, what is the difference between the subplot in Lear and Shakespeare's other subplots? And, okay, so I was like, okay, so which subplot in Lear? Because there's multiple. Yeah. And just all of his subplots? <laughs> it's a terrible like, aren't question. are they all different stories? <laughs> like, that's the point? Yeah, uh. it's like... um. Compare um, th- this one character from Lear with all his other characters. It's, it's not a useful question. <laughs> Should be like, uh, sir, um, doesn't this sort of apply to every other story that's ever been written? That the subplots probably aren't the same. Yeah, exactly. It's it's nonsense. But apparently, I'm the only one who thinks this because he gets this really prestigious teaching gig at Bern oh, yeah. University in Switzerland. <laughs> where they have the Hadron Super Collider. <laughs> just um, overnight, just walks home, so, and he's like, oh, yeah, this happened. Yeah, and he's decided that he's going to bring Kyle Chandler with him to Switzerland <laughs> um, <laughs> because he's like, you'll be safe. The army can't get you in Switzerland. <laughs> this is um, the Call Me By Your Name sequel that we needed. Maybe it is. It is right. truly wild. Um, maybe if Army Hammer was the professor, I'd be more invested in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely just incredibly creepy, and the assumption that Kyle Chandler is just his, like... These, they're basically just Batman and Robin now. Like, they're inseparable. <laughs> they're going to live together, fight English crimes. Um, but basically, then, yeah. So Kyle Chandler keeps having these nightmares about his dad, and his dad finally shows up at the door because his dad's, like, an army general. Um the dad confronts the professor and gives him one of the worst TV slaps I've ever seen. It is very weak <laughs> and unimpressive. Um, and it's just like, he, we walk into a soap opera. He goes to shoot Kyle Chandler, but then Kyle Chandler disappears because Kyle Chandler is like the young version of the professor, which would be predictable if this script made any sense. Um, yeah, they just sort of intro. Oh, so I should mention that I didn't realize that this that there were basically two shows per episode, or that, or that they were at least thirty minute episodes. So I looked at the uh, I looked at the runtime, and I'm like, how are we twenty eight minutes in? I was like, this is uh, presumably the end of the the story. So I was, anyways, I should just yeah, I was relieved to find out that it did in fact end when <laughs> I assumed it should. Yeah, it's um, the structure of the show is probably the most interesting thing about it. Um, it's very like the like the BBC show Cucumber and Banana. Um, like usually the first half of the episode will have a minor character who gets kind of expanded in the second half in a different story. Um, but yeah, it is certainly peculiar, and I always think that I should maybe warn my guests ahead of time about that. But I kind of just want to know how how it how they like it or not. 
Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was a little nervous, but relieved at the same time to know that at least we didn't have to continue with this. Yeah, well, we'll see if what we get was worth it afterwards. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so basically, yeah, we find out that Cal Chandler is, you know, young Professor Wyndham. He starts crying, but then there's a knock on his door. It's Cal Chandler again, just saying like, "I'm on, you know, on the run from the army." And it's just implied that it's just like, oh, the cycle's starting over where this is just going to be his life. A bunch of nonsense that doesn't make any sense. And Freddy's like, he has to relive that 10,000 times until he dies. And congrats to him. And that's that's the thing. Right. And then it's like, is is he being punished for something? Like, why does he have to relive this all the time? I think he's being punished that was for kinda... deserting the army when he was a kid, which is oh, okay. an interesting political uh, stance for Freddie so to take. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's basically and that's the yeah, thing it, that's it, confusing is he's like is he is he dreaming this or is he reliving a memory? And is the the memory is is implying that it's his younger self asking his older self for help while he's battling alcoholism, but then gives his younger self alcoholism. Then his dead dad comes to kill him, but he only kills his... It's like, it's so crazy. It's so hard to yeah, and, it, and, like to understand what's happening. And the thing about younger self interactions, especially in the show, but in most kind of like anthology kind of stuff, people never recognize their younger self. Like, I had a mirror when I was 17. Like, I knew what I looked like. Yeah, and I feel like they could have um, even played into but yeah, that. So he just rem- owned the fact that he's himself and he could like be weirded out from the beginning like why play into it that he doesn't know that it's yeah just so bizarre and he invents this whole backstory where he's like a poetry student of his so it's yeah it's it is a cheating twist to say the least (laughs) so stupid but yeah it's it's nonsense and i was like really glad because sometimes as you will see in the next episode that we cover um sometimes the story just kind of continues past the second half and i was glad this Mm -hmm. one didn't (laughs) but the the story we get next it's it's about the red-headed lady's friend who works at a credit company um called compute a credit um where she's a supervisor but she does not know how computers work we have this truly wild voiceover from a computer about how it's a very like film noir detective monologue about like he got a hot tip from F. Kruger that someone someone in this office is dirty and someone is clean and he has to figure out who it is. And I was like, I can't say this is what I was expecting to be in the second half yeah. of this episode. Yeah, it's it's so it's very dragnet. Yes. Um I'm not too familiar with the old T V show, but at least the the Tom Hanks Dan Aykroyd dragnet. That's <laughs> it's very odd. Well I had to rewind yeah, it because I was so it's confused. About a I was like Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was just saying I had to rewind it because I was I was like, wait. The, so the, is this the computer giving the voiceover, and is this like supposed to be this like gumshoe detective thing? But yeah, it literally was. Yes and yes. Um, I mean, I do generally like when '80s like genre stuff has a computer element because in the '80s computers were so new that people assumed that they were magic and could do literally anything. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So in movies like Evil Speak with Clint Howard, where he summons the devil through a computer, <laughs> or um, 
like war games. It's just people are like, computers mm-hmm. are going to change everything. And they weren't wrong, but they were definitely wrong about what computers were able to do at the time. Right. Um, so I usually enjoy that, but this is just truly banana pants out of control. <laughs> <laughs> so the blonde, her, her name is Barbara. Um, and she's like, there's this montage of people who have horrible credit problems because the computer's messing up. And she's like, there's nothing I can do. But then her mom calls and she's like, well, I want to buy a, she wants to buy a hat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Her mom calls and wants to buy a hat. So she eliminates her credit in the computer system because her mom wants to buy a hat. So she's just obviously this horrible person who uses the computer just for her own whims and does not, you know, want to help people. You know, and... for those expensive hats. Oh, th- yes. <laughs> I would love to see the hat that her mom bought. I wish her mom right. was more of an, uh, a character in this episode. <laughs> That's another but thing, yeah, too, so is like all of the drama, again, sorry, what? all the drama revolves around bad credit. <laughs> it's like right out of the gate, sort of just this like really... Like, okay, I get it. Like, it doesn't really set you up for, like, much success in terms of, like, drama and suspense. Not so much, but Barbara definitely finds the drama for herself. (laughs) Um, Basically, Freddy makes a little joke about credit problems. He's like, look, call me. I'll kill the bill collectors. I'll kill the lawyers. If that doesn't work, I'll kill you. Congrats. Um, And then, oh, yeah, so the part where the mom's calling about the hat, it's not, we don't get to hear the mom's voice. We hear that kind of, like, cartoony animal crossing voice on the other end of the line that happens sometimes that's yeah i was like (laughs) i was like taking some notes during like watching these and that's like the first thing i thought of i was like i've heard this before (laughs) oh it's animal crossing (laughs) yeah like that happens in that happens in like cartoons when people call on the other end of the phone but whenever a live action thing does that it is (laughs) mind-boggling yeah especially Um, since we're not in like the dream segment yet no, we're about to enter it where she gets, she imagines that she's being like handcuffed by the tape of the computer. Um, and the computer keeps like flashing, flashing messages on the screen. And she imagines that she's thrown in this like weird dungeon jail. And they're like, computer tampering is a serious offense, which again is true, but is such an old fashioned line. Like that line in scream where they're like, why do you have a cellular telephone son? <laughs> Everyone's um, got one. <laughs> Yeah, it's truly it's this episode is so confusing and I'm I don't even understand my notes at this point. It, this <laughs> just says the roommate is a lesbian computer. Do you know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> I mean we can definitely dissect it, but uh I don't think I would understand what that means like on the surface. Oh, yeah. I remember what it is. She gets put in jail. Her cellmate is a computer who's like it was like a butch lady voice and is like you're gonna be my prisoner now oh that's right yeah so that's you know we're just gonna throw in you know gay panic and like horrible <laughs> prison rape and she was less in a prison she was more in a dungeon yeah exactly yeah it's very it's a whole thing and then she meets a love interest cause why not um oh my God. his name is Joe um he loves her Romeo and Juliet pendant. He says he has a secret obsession for Shakespeare. 
Um, she flirts with him. She changes his credit, and so they go out on a. Oh no, she they go on a they go out on a date, and then she changes his credit to be all nice, which is great. Um, she so she shows up to work all high on love, um, but then he ditches her on their next date. So she's like, I'm gonna give him the worst credit rating since Germany lost World War II. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down. I was like, that's the best line of the episode. It's a solid line. Yeah. Um. But then basically he shows up and he's like, look, my mom got sick. I had to take her to the hospital. I couldn't come to lunch. And for some reason, even though she is, you know, fully a sociopath, she just actually cops to, she's like, oh, yeah, I actually screwed your entire credit and possibly your life. But let's have dinner. <laughs> and yeah, then one of my notes was just Barbara's all over the place and needs to slow down. Yeah, Barbara really needs to, like, make a pro and cons list of all of her decisions and just really think about everything. Like, take a set. Meditate. Be smart. Yeah, she needs to set any intention. <laughs> she has no <laughs> idea what her goals are. She's just the most reactive. Every time something happens, it's just, like, it's just this, like, full-blown reaction and then dealing with the consequences, like, five seconds later. Yeah, yeah, she has maybe she she lives in kind of an eternal present where she forgets everything she's ever thought or felt in the past and does not think about any future consequences. She's like, I'm doing what I'm doing right now and this is it. I mean, I give her all This is all that will ever that. be. You know, like live her best life if that's working, but I you know, I don't think it's working considering everything that happens to her. No, it's not. She <laughs> she does hear Joe's voice trapped inside her computer. Um a hand drags her into the screen and she ends up in this room full of like flashing lights and motherboards and there are like security guards walking around who I think are the people that she's denied for credit earlier. Yes, they definitely were. And that's part of the thing. Like when she gets her first, like her first uh, like vision where she's handcuffed by the computer bits, I kind of had like a little bit of hope for the episode. I said, this could be very like, you know, like a Cronenberg kind of body horror thing. Or there was this movie that came out, um, I don't know, a few years ago. I think it was called Sequence Break, where like a video game, like an arcade game, kind of like came out and took this guy over. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I kind of had like some hope for it. And then she goes into this room that you just talked about where it's like the bleeping lights and the weird motherboard with like... <laughs> pieces of the computer just hanging and i was like okay never mind <laughs> yeah they they don't know We're what done. a computer is i don't think <laughs> right and she's she sees joe in like a glass hannibal lecter cage and she's like i can delete the glass but she just deletes him <laughs> again um, but there's like no repercussions but, to this so i don't really understand what was this was supposed to symbolize unless i totally missed something yeah it just they had to they had to add an extra five minutes to the episode. Yeah. So they're like, I guess she's in a computer room. Um, but yeah, she goes back to reality. Um, she decides to use her employee's personal code to like fix the man's credit rating. Because she's like, well, I, I can't use my code to fix it because they'll know I've been tampering with it. And I'm like, well, why don't they know about all the other tampering you've been doing? <laughs> like, right. why is fixed tampering somehow a problem? <laughs> Um, But basically, he's like, well, you should screw over Millie. Do it for my business. Do it for us. (laughs) Which, I guess, you know, they're a match made in heaven. They're both equally terrible people. Yeah, they're just drawn to each Um, other, and they just embraced it. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's good. They can cancel each other out. 
<laughs> um, but she does use Millie's code, but Millie ends up not coming into work because she has a broken leg. Um, so it's very obvious that Millie didn't use her code to do that thing. And then one of the security guards comes to look for Millie. Um, and then um, Barbara like sends him away, but she starts to panic. She's like, I have to hide the evidence. And the computer screen flashes and is like, better solution available. Come inside to delete the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> and the part like that got me, it was right after that. And she says, she goes, no, I'd rather, I don't know if she said, I'd rather die or something. And then she like looks in the drawer and then closes it and she goes, okay, show me what to do. And yeah. it was just like, what? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> How did you flip the script Barbara's so fast Barbara's all over that? the place. She, she's not a creative problem solver. She doesn't deserve her job. Well, yeah, um, also but before the line that they're referring when, to, yeah, sorry. When the security guard comes in, he asks, he's like, where's Millie? And she kind of lies for no reason. She's like, oh, she's at the dentist. Like, why not just say she's at the hospital? Everything she does, all of her decisions are just so, like, quick, but kind of pointless and aimless. And they just sort of, I don't know, it just she digs herself into a hole anyways by lying. Well, that one, Danny, I actually do have a solution for that problem. <laughs> what? She said she was at the dentist because she needed, like, a dentist is like a quick appointment. She needed Millie to come back into the office at some point that day uh, so they would know that she used her code. Gotcha. That makes sense. See, there is. Yeah, there is. See, I, I read this episode all there wrong. There is a little bit of. <laughs> That's doable. I don't know that there's a right way to read it. Um, but yeah, so the line that you're referring to where she doesn't want to go in the computer, she says, I wouldn't come in there if it was the last place on earth that had air. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which is, you know, very extreme considering that it takes her five seconds to decide to change her mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so basically uh, she does go back in and she has to f insert this motherboard and they're like, oh, you might die though. Um, but she is trying to erase the evidence. But then basically it, it's, you know, this wild chain of events that ends up with her in real life, like tangled up with her computer and like falling over with it and just screaming that she's gonna kill it and then she gets dragged away <laughs> oh yeah Barbara falling um, over was one of the funniest moments in the entire episode I was dying because it's such like she kind of throws yes. herself to the ground instead of like actually tripping over something mm-hmm yeah it, it's very much a gift that we need for any sort of to express any sort of problems we have with the computer which is her fully mud wrestling a computer <laughs> <laughs> And even when she puts the, the, like, the motherboard into, like, she's supposed to erase the memory, it just, like, cuts to, like, a flash of smoke, and then she's got, like, cartoon injuries all over her body. <laughs> like, the shoulder of her clothes is, like, clothes are, like, singed, and her hair is kind of funky. Like, there was some big explosion that we just missed. And doesn't it have, like, one of those, like, spinning yeah. transitions? Like, in the, in the actual, like, oh, it editing? It does everything. It does all of those things and more. Um, but yeah, in, in more, including included in the more is that Millie now has Barbara's job. Now that Barbara's been dragged away, um, potentially imprisoned with a lesbian computer roommate, um, yet to determine. Um, but she's on the phone with another Animal Crossing voice who um, is called Mrs. Parton, who I can only assume is meant to be Dolly Parton. Of course. Because um, otherwise, why say her name at all? <laughs> Um, but then Millie, Joe Millie the got a makeover, arrives. right? 
Yeah, no, when you're the boss, you got to get your hair up, like, fully teased. You got to get the shoulder pads. You got to do the whole Melanie Griffith thing. She reminds mm-hmm. me of, she looks almost exactly like Tina Fey in that uh, SNL sketch where they're all, they're wearing, like, what are they, it's like the, the like, high-waisted jeans with Amy Poehler and the my, mom my, jeans. Yes. The it mom literally jeans. looked, I was like, oh, my God, I was having flashbacks. I was like, this is perfect. Yeah, no, let's let's not assume that Millie has the best taste, but she did go for it. <laughs> she um, did. She and sure Joe did. shows up. It, it's, yeah. It's revealed that he is Millie's brother, and they've been conspiring against Barbara to drive her insane. And she, Millie programmed the computer to turn itself on and say messages to Barbara. And then the computer says, good night, Millie. I love you. And <laughs> it's... That's just the end, and then the like hard-boiled voiceover comes back, and the computer's like, "All right, time to find that cute little Mac and show her my hard drive." Oh my god! Um, which is not <laughs> what I needed to hear at the end of no. this episode, <laughs> right? No, I already had um, so many questions about like, oh, like with Millie, did she? So I, 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 I can believe that she programmed the computer to do all of these things, but were they timed? And were these messages reacting to actions that Barbara was doing? It was just it all seemed kind of like to time up very perfectly. It was just very, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> very confused. Yeah, it, it's, it's very much like if, um, if colon Barbara acts out of her mind, Run colon exe, <laughs> yeah. um, pull her into your screen. <laughs> it was just so specific. Um, yeah, no, Millie's a genius, and <laughs> she deserves the work. So congrats to her. Um, Freddie's back in his little room. Um, he's like, when you hire somebody, make sure they're at least as dumb as you are. And it, it's a very unremarkable scene, except that I noticed in the background of his little room, um, there's like a pitchfork leaning against the wall, which I thought was kind of hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why is there a pitchfork? Because he's he's in hell, I guess. Oh, yeah. okay. My, my one note that I made. Farmer? <laughs> my one note that I made at the end was just good one, Freddy. Because I agreed. It was just like, it was it was not the most inspired little quip to end the episode on. Yeah, but at at least the episode has ended. Oh, yeah. So, what are your final thoughts on this episode? So, was it a dream, as in a good episode, a nightmare, as in a terrible episode, or did it just put you to sleep, as in neutral and boring? So, I I know I've kind of... I would say it put me to sleep. What's that, Dan? Oh, no, sorry. I was just, I think, uh, I was going to say, I've sort of been like ragging on this episode this whole ep- this well this whole episode but uh actually it was kind of a dream for me i kind of loved the thing that made it work for me was just how insane it was like i can't say i was actually very bored because everything was just i had so many okay, questions that it kind of kept me uh, tangled that said i don't i never really watched this uh show freddy's nightmares so i had nothing else to compare it to um so yeah no honestly I think that's for the best um, because <laughs> I have seen every episode up until this point, and while coherence has never particular be- particularly been the strong suit of this show, um, I'm used to at least a 5% more coherent teleplay from the people who make this show. Um, for me, this episode was a nightmare. It's the worst episode of this show I've seen. Maybe the worst episode of television I've seen. <laughs> um, 
but I'm I was not in the right place to receive it. There's definitely I wish I was in your brain and was able to kind of process the wackiness and enjoy it because I have the ability to do that, but just not today. This is yeah. not what I needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely uh I wouldn't say the it wasn't the worst for me. Uh it definitely put me to sleep. I I was okay with the Kyle Chandler um younger self, older self thing. Um but once it jumped into the computer bit, I just it was the it was the computer voiceover that just kind of ruined it for me. Yeah. It's so silly. <laughs> it's super and silly. It's the episode is so completely erratic. Like especially like the two stories it tells have such completely different tones and then mm-hmm. each individual not even scene, like maybe each shot is completely different from what precedes or follows it. It's completely <laughs> just out of its mind off the rails. Yes. I just know that if this um, was like a one-act play that I was watching, um, and it was just Barbara sort of, you know, some actress playing her, carrying that role, I would have loved it. So I was, I'm trying to give it the give it the benefit of the doubt, but I completely understand where you guys are coming in with this. No, and look, I'm I'm not trying to convince you to dislike this experience, <laughs> and I'm glad that you did in some way because <laughs> that means you won't resent me forever for making you come on the show. <laughs> Um, but okay, so let's tell people where out on the internet can people find you, follow you, find your work, whatever they're, you know, all the, all that stuff. So right now you can find me on Twitter and uh, at Danny Salem. Uh, Instagram is just my name, um, and we also have uh, Cottonmouth Instagram and Twitter that are just Cottonmouth the film. Uh, cool. Just Cottonmouth film, actually. Oh. At Cottonmouth <laughs> film. <laughs> what about you, Zach? Um, I'm on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Zach Winsick. Um, and then we have our official website, which is cottonmouthfilm.com, where you can see um, all the screenings that we have coming up and learn a bit, little bit about the movie and watch the trailer and, and things like that. And then you can use, even subscribe and we'll send out updates when we get new screenings and uh and more information. And that's cottonmouthfilm.com. Perfect. Sounds like a plan. Everybody do that. And also, everybody, remember, um, every episode is brought to you by donations from you. Uh, please help us keep going by donating to the Okra Project. Donate through the link in the show notes. Take a screenshot of your receipt and send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com or DM it to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brands and Instagram at The Burning Clem. Our artwork was created by Henry Hall. If you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you can send him a commission at henryhall.design. Our theme song is Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. Rate and review us wherever you get us. And next episode, where Danny and Zach will be <laughs> continuing their reign of terror. Uh, a recent widow comes to the realization that her late husband purchased a winning lottery ticket. So she goes to great lengths to recover it. Meanwhile, a gravedigger resorts to blackmail to land the woman of his dreams. Um... I'll discuss the weirdness of that synopsis next episode. But until then, sweet dreams, everybody. See you on Friday. Bye-bye.